listening to Ticker Talk, a podcast brought to you by CanNet, the Cardiovascular Network of Canada. Immerse yourselves in conversations with caregivers and patients living well after diagnosis and gather insight from leading experts across Canada on research findings that make a difference. I'm your host, Anne-Marie Julian, a research partner, a peer support group leader, and a patient with lived experience managing my own cardiac health condition. Welcome, Sue Armstrong, a patient with lived experience. Thank you so much for joining us, Sue, to be part of our podcast series. Can you tell us a little bit about how your heart story unfolded? First of all, thank you very much, Anne-Marie, for inviting me. I'm glad that I'm able to participate and help in any way that I can. In terms of my heart journey, I think it's very similar to a a lot of other people. There's heart disease in my family. My grandfather died as a young man, and his brothers, he had several brothers who also had heart issues. So my father was very militant when we were growing up, and we were very heart health conscious. About six years ago, my brother had a heart attack. After his episode, I made sure that I got fully checked. I was very concerned. Everything checked out fine. A few years later, I ended up having pneumonia and I just wasn't feeling well afterwards and it was taking a long time. And I just sensed that something wasn't right. I had gone back to my doctor and I really pushed to have a stress test. He did a full exam and said, you know, everything looks fine. With heart disease, we can present perfectly healthy one day and the next day we're not. And it's not the fault of a doctor, it's just the nature of the disease. So I ended up waking up feeling pretty horrible after convincing my son and the paramedics that I truly was having a heart attack. They ended up taking me. I think what was really important and where we talk about women and symptoms, none of them were convinced that I was having a heart attack. So it took a great deal of persuading. While putting a stent in, I went into cardiac arrest. Mm. Uh, I had 12 minutes of CPR. During that period of time, they made the decision to put me in a medically induced coma. I was in a coma for, for several days. And when I came out, well, one, in shock. But I think more than that, I had additional complications, additional internal bleeding, an injured shoulder, and blood clot. I was the very atypical case, uh, and I spent close to a month in there. That sounds like quite a moment of will when you insisted that you were needing the attention of the heart specialist, but you knew there was something going on. Again, because symptoms in women are different than men, Mm -hmm. um, it was something I really had to push for. And in fact, sadly, I had to exaggerate one of my symptoms so that they would really believe me. Thankfully, they did, because a few minutes later, I wouldn't be here having this conversation with you. Right. As my cardiologist and my medical team had said, you know, I had the most catastrophic heart attack someone can have and then survive. Wow. So So your heart journey continued to unfold, and now you're aware that you have heart failure. Before I was diagnosed with heart failure... Again, I was dealing with additional complications. Mm-hmm. So that was a distraction. It was a distraction in terms of my overall recovery. I was suffering, uh, had a lot of pain from the shoulder injury, which was disruptive to my sleep. And my cardiac team was very concerned that I wasn't getting enough rest to help with my recovery. 
considering all those complications, it kind of masked what was really happening. And again, I can't emphasize enough how important it is to advocate for ourselves. And I kept on insisting that there still was something wrong. And I just wasn't feeling very well. I didn't have any energy. It was very, very difficult. I was trying not to compare myself to my brother's recovery or other people that I met in cardio rehab whose recoveries were very quick. Again, a lot of persuading and a lot of calling to ordering another series of tests. And it was after that series of tests that I was diagnosed with heart failure. And that was 11 months after my initial episode. It was not something that I was diagnosed with initially, but mm -hmm. sticking to my instinct, knowing that there's still something wrong. As you reflect on your journey in terms of our understanding of women's heart health and the symptoms and women present versus men, do you have any thoughts about that? I do. I think it's very important for people to be aware that you know, heart symptoms or heart attack symptoms in women can present very differently than men from the very beginning. And there has been efforts or there are efforts underway to help educate both the medical community and really the, the general public that the presentation of heart attack is very different in women than in, in men. So we're at the point where women are no longer underdiagnosed or misdiagnosed, not at the point where we're thinking, oh, my, my doctor ignored me. You're a survivor of a heart attack, fairly catastrophic one, and you're living with heart failure. How do you manage that on a day-to-day -day basis? In terms of how I'm living today, my journey, because it was more complicated, it took me longer to recover. My healing process was more lengthy. So before I could really focus on what the new me would be like, I really needed to continue healing and, and continuing that journey first. And it took all my energy to do that. I would suggest for us, especially as, as women, we tend to put ourselves really low on our priority list, sometimes mm -hmm. at the very bottom. So after all of my uh, heart health journey, it was very important for me to move myself way up that priority list. So I'm no longer at the bottom. I might not be number one or two, but you know, to be in the top three. It was also important that I learned to be kind to myself, especially in those first months of recovery. We have a lot of shame. We have a lot of guilt. You know, I should have done this differently if I hadn't done that. You know, hindsight's 2020. And upon reflection, we say things to ourselves that we would never say to our friends and family. What I've also needed to do in my journey going forward is to figure out what are the things that bring me joy, the smell of fresh peonies in, in the garden, a boat ride on the water with my family. It's just important for me to embrace those things and appreciate the moment to moment. Amory, you know that I've being involved with theater, certainly a board of directors, working in production, sometimes on stage. It's very physically demanding during production time. You've got back to back to back to rehearsals and performances, and you need to be on the whole time. I had resigned myself to the fact that I wouldn't be able to do that. I just don't have the ability. So with some adjustments, I've alternated nights in order to manage my fatigue. So rather than being on for a whole run of uh, 12 nights, I was on and off. So that was an opportunity for me to say, you know, 
I have heart failure, but it doesn't mean that I have to stop. Sure, I couldn't do the 12 shows, but at least I got to do half of the shows. So that was really important for me. And I think important for my family and my friends to demonstrate that, you know, I'm still fighting my way back and I'm not giving up. And there's still a lot of fun things out there that we can do. Finding ways to manage our involvement in the things that bring us so much joy, right? Like, so, so finding a way to make the theater possible for you because it gives you so much joy. You've also been back to the gym. Before I had my health events, I, I used to do a lot of strength training, and I'd been doing that on and off really since I was a teenager. After I was diagnosed with heart failure, and until we knew uh, the direction that my heart health was going in, I was told, you know, no lifting, anything, like, you know, not even a laundry basket. And so over a period of time, you lose all that upper body strength. I was really struggling doing some pretty basic tasks around the house that I had done before. And it really took me quite a bit of time to feel well enough and feel strong enough to return to the gym. You know, I, I reflect back five months later since I, I first went back to the gym and I'm just feeling so much stronger. It's been very, very rewarding. And I think it's important to emphasize that we all set these goals for ourselves, but we have to be kind to ourselves in terms of the, the timeline. Two years ago, I thought there's no way I'd never be able to return to the gym based on how I was feeling. And yet, you know, two years later, here I am and just so happy to be back. When somebody hears a doctor say to you, you have heart failure, that's kind of a, a stopping moment in the conversation. And heart failure sounds so dramatic. It sounds imminent and it sounds like something very serious. It's like, it's hard not to kind of just stop in your tracks and go, oh my God, heart failure. Like, what does, what can I still do? So what would you say to someone who's just heard that, that they have heart failure, they're kind of in that space of, oh, what does that mean for me? How am I going to live with that? It felt like my life journey was going to be severely limited and shortened. I was stunned. Heart failure is really a failure of the heart to work efficiently. It's not meaning the heart is going to stop. So in my case, with heart failure, part of my heart is permanently damaged. There's muscle that is no longer working. So other parts of my heart have to work for it. And my heart is failing to get enough oxygen to the rest of my body efficiently. There are therapeutic approaches out there. There continues to be research and more work done to really improve the quality of life uh, for heart failure patients. Uh, not just quality, but, but quantity of, of life. Right. Uh, but I also want to impress Anne-Marie that although the medical team is doing their job, it's important for us to do our job. And that means sticking with the advice, staying on our medications. We are on fluid restriction. We are on sodium restriction. And those things can be a little onerous. But if we manage our own health and with the combination with the support with the medical community and with our cardiac team, we can really live a quality life. 
some some people recover very quickly. Others take a long time. I, I feel like I took the longest time in history. But, you know, Amory, I got there. And when I look at myself today compared to how I was a year ago, compared to how I was two years ago, the differences are phenomenal. Uh, so I, I just want people to know that uh, recovery, even if it's on a longer period of time, is certainly possible and, and to keep to keep pushing forward and, and to keep fighting for uh, your recovery. Just like we're all unique, each person's recovery process is also unique. Sometimes some people seem to be quickly recovered, but they may still be doing work in other areas that are less obvious. So physically, they may look like they're recovered. So we just don't, it's kind of like the tip of the iceberg, right? We see the tip of the iceberg, but people have their own process and their own recovery journey they need to go through. And I have found in my experience working with the various women's at heart groups, some uh, with coronary artery disease and others with, with heart failure, is heart failure seems to be a much more e emotional journey. Mm -hmm. And it's very important. I know for lots of us, and Amory, you know this too, people look at us knowing that we're cardiac patients and they say, wow, you know, you look so good. Yes, we may look good on the outside, but our insides are still fighting for recovery. And even though someone may feel good physically, they still have an emotional journey ahead of them. And that's important to acknowledge. And it's important to take the time to also heal emotionally and to really acknowledge that. That's a great, a great place to land, Sue. Thank you so much for sharing your story and, and how you approach life. It's hard when you're, like you say, in that shell shock state to imagine that life can go on and it can go on in a really positive way. 